From the birthplace of modern recovery, Akron, Ohio, welcome to Rock and Recovery. Recovery Talks, the podcast dedicated to sharing stories and amplifying the voices of those on the front lines in the recovery movement. Our commitment to you to always deliver straight up sober talk with the sincere promise of a safe, stigma and judgment free zone. Recovery Talks right now. So hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Recovery Talks, the podcast. And I'm here this week with Stephanie Chronic. And thank you for helping me pronounce your last name. That was really cool. <laughs> Stephanie is a, a musician who likes to play and write piano music. She also really, her happy place is working in the recovery community. And um, by the grace of a higher power, she is 70 days clean. Thank you for being here with me today and talking about you and your stuff. I appreciate it. I always like to kick it off with a little bit of, so tell me what Stephanie was like before Stephanie decided that Stephanie needed to get help with Stephanie. So talk to me, tell me what's going on. Okay. Um, Stephanie before this Stephanie now was miserable. She was drinking and using a lot of drugs and taking my frustration out in other ways. I have been to rehab and detox twice. I spent a lot of time focusing on my eating disorder and not on anything else in life. Um, So I just kind of decided that I was done and that I needed help. Um, I didn't want to keep living the way that I was living. It was exhausting. You know, you talked about uh, drinking drugs and eating disorder. At what point did you decide those were um, issues for you? Or did they always seem like they went together for you or is it separate? Or, you know, for me, drinking was always a side. That was like, that wasn't the main thing. You know what I mean? The main thing for me when I was a kid was like fear. I'm just afraid of everything. You know, and then when I found using, uh, actually for me, it was uh, it was smoking weed. I was like, what? What is this? <laughs> huh? This is, I'm not me anymore. I don't feel like that terrible feeling anymore. So was it was it all together for you? Was it separate? How did that work for you when it was when you? Um, found- when I was a kid, something traumatic happened to me and continued happening for quite a few years. And to cope with that, I would actually steal medication that was in my mother's um, medicine cabinet, and I didn't even know what I was stealing. But I was taking her Darvocet, which, for those of you who don't know what that is, it's a narcotic painkiller that is no longer on the market because people were like going into kidney failure. And I was about 12 when I was doing that. So looking back now, I'm like, oh my gosh, like that to me is like, that's where my problem started. Did you know Um, when you were taking it? Did you know what Darvocet was? No. Was it just something you picked out of like, you know, like roulette, like, ooh, I'm in there. I'm going to take some of this. Mom takes this. I'm I'm going in. Is that what happened? Yeah. Wow. Yep, and I used to take a lot of it and it would make me sick, like I would vomit and then I would skip school. So it was like, it was almost like I didn't want to go to school. So I would abuse like Tylenol PM just to make myself sick because I was kind of fearful, like you said. But as far as the eating disorder goes, I remember as a kid thinking that I wanted to be thinner. And I used to think like, I wish I was strong enough to have an eating disorder. But that didn't really manifest itself full-fledged until I was about 24. And then 
that like took off. Like I lost a triple digit amount of weight in a matter of eight months. Mm. I was exercising vigorously. I wouldn't say that they went together. They definitely, like the addiction and the eating disorder, it was like I was either focusing on one or I was focusing on the other. So when I was growing up, you know what I mean? I always felt that somehow, you know, I think I've heard it said this one. I compared everybody outside to my inside. I just looked at everybody else and said, everybody is better than me. That guy's a better uh, sports dude. That guy's thinner. Because when I was a kid, I had a really bad self-image because you un- you said something that I, I heard you say earlier that, that was also part of my history with, you know, something and I'm doing this, let's put great big fat parentheses around it. Something bad happened to us when we were kids, right? And that's how we start to tell our story, isn't it? Because frankly, you know, I don't unpack that to anybody. You know what I mean? Like, unless I know you and we're really, really deep down the trail together talking, like we've walked the long miles together. I don't get into that. I don't, that's like my private thing. But I, I remember always feeling that you know, it was like something I couldn't talk about, you know what I mean? And I didn't want to deal with it. And that was underneath what I call the manhole cover, right? So I didn't know that I wasn't as good as everybody else. I just looked at everybody else and thought, I just, I suck. I suck. But, you know, I, I talk a lot about having this one pic- picture of me in a baseball team when I'm like eight or 10 years old. I don't even know. It's a million years ago. And I see the look in that kid's eyes. I see the terror. I see the less than, I see the self-worth is just nothing. And he's so frightened. And every time I see that picture, I actually keep it around. I keep telling that kid, don't worry. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of you, you know? But, you know, I think it all, if we could talk about the statistics of childhood trauma and then the later on resulting propensity towards substance abuse for those of us that went through that. I think that, I mean, it's pretty commonly known in the communities that, man, that's, that's how a lot of it started. We felt worse than everybody else. And we didn't, mm-hmm. we didn't know why, right? So, yeah. so you started taking Darvacet, uh, you're 12 years old, it takes you to your 24. I mean, when did you feel like, okay, I might, I mean, that we always have these, I call them moments of clarity right? Before, before we go into sobriety, where we go, you know, and I, and I joke about it a lot on this show, but I talk about three stages. I talk about the first stage was like, this is fun. I'm having a good time. I'm a good time. You know, and then the next stage is like, what? What just happened? Consequences start showing right? You know, for whatever reasons, you know what I mean? Uh, work or, or social issues or popo or whatever. I mean, I didn't know I never went to jail. It was like, whoa. And then finally, the third stage was me down on my knees with the devil dress saying, please, God, help me. please help me. Because I was, uh, I was without being able to be helped myself. So when did that first stage happen to you? Tell me what, you know, that, that, that moment that you can't forget what you said to yourself or moments. Oh, man. Oh man, talk to you about that. You know, growing up, I never thought I had a problem. I was like the popular girl in high school. I was partying on the weekend with older people and I thought I was just really cool and having a fun time. And um, I got married um, in 2013, Um, that marriage has ended, but I got married and I didn't even think about like alcohol or drugs. 
I didn't really have any eating disorder issues, but when that marriage ended, I would say that I went off the deep end with everything. I was abusing cocaine and Adderall and alcohol, and I was not eating. And I went to eating disorder treatment in February of 2016 for the first time. And what the moment that I realized that I really had a problem was my older brother and his family came to visit um, for Christmas winter 2015 and I hugged my nephew goodbye and I told myself that I didn't care if I ever saw him again and I was thinking about that and I was like oh my god like I'm 24 years old I shouldn't be wishing my life away I decided that it was time for me to go to treatment and I did my research and I found a treatment center in Toledo and that was the start of my eating disorder recovery and even then I still didn't think I had any trouble with drugs and alcohol. Like I was working at Glen Bay and I was abusing drugs while I was working at Glen Bay. And I still didn't think I had an issue surrounded by all these people in recovery. I mean, these people with time. How did that work? How did, draw me the line from, from you getting to work at Glen Bay. I mean, how did you get connected with that? Because that seems like, it's funny how we, we migrate into the area of recovery that we're supposed to be in. It's like, I know I need to move over there. For me, it was yeah. moving to California. I was like, if I just go to California, it would be great. I'd be cool. You know what I mean? So you moved into the area of recovery in you know, the Glen Bay treatment facility, but you weren't, you weren't in recovery yet? Is that what was happening? No. Yeah, I actually tested positive for like amphetamines, like Adderall. And I, they still hired me. I don't really, looking back now, I don't really know why, but, um, I still didn't think I had an issue and I don't, I don't, I didn't wake up one day and decide that I wanted to work in recovery. It was more just like, I needed a job. Glen Bay had a posting. I applied. I thought to myself, oh, I have a family history. Like my mom's an alcoholic. So I was like, oh, this will be good for me. Like I'll get experience. I'll be around people who understand. Yada, yada. That's kind of like our own secret self, our higher sense, our higher self telling us, um, you, you might want to just check this out. When you were there, were you, were you, when you were there working, were you exposed to any of the, the, the so-called um, religion of recovery? You know, I mean, were you seeing what people were doing and you, was it connected with you at all? Was there like little, little check marks going off in your head saying, maybe this might be me? I mean, I might be this person, you know? Yeah. Yeah, there was. And I opened up to a few people. I never opened up to them about drug and alcohol use. So I felt ashamed by that. I didn't want to tell anyone about that. Um, But I did open up about the eating disorder. um, And there were a lot of people that supported me. mentioned shame a minute ago and I think one of the things that we are just expert at right is is that shame thing right so much we could go off on a whole different podcast about (laughs) man shame is kind of the roots of where all this stuff started it was kind of like built into the foundation of the cement of the foundation of the houses we built as kids we felt ashamed you know I had a lot of really good friends that I worked with at Glen Bay Chrissy especially she was like a godsend, like a great person. Her and a couple other people were really supportive of me. They really encouraged me to get help. And then 
I went on like a medical leave from Glen Bay and I went to treatment um, in February 2016. And I was there for about three months. I discharged. I felt fine for a little bit. I went back to work at Glen Bay. And shortly after I was there, it only took about a month for me to realize that I should not be working in recovery. Like this is not what I need to be doing right now. Like eventually I would love to go back to working in recovery because I feel like that's where the miracles happen in life. Mm. But for that particular time, I was like, no, it's not good for me. I can't be there. Um, I fell off the wagon, so to speak, with my eating disorder. Mm. I ended up going to residential treatment in Florida. And then the cycle just kept going from there for a little bit. And I really want to thank you for coming on and talking about this because, you know, it's just not easy, especially when you're looking at, you know, the first few miles where you are right now. I mean, it takes so much courage, Stephanie. If I could come through the screen right now and pin a great big courage badge on you, I would do it, man. Great big validation there, you know, because I think the hardest part, um, what people don't get. You know, they, they, I mean, people, and it's abstract to people that don't suffer from the same things we suffer from, which is a medical condition, right? You know, it's yeah. the disease of alcoholism, it's disease of thinking, disease of heartbreak, the disease of all these things that have happened to us when we've had something happen to us in our lives that's changed us and we tried to grow a tree around that, right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think that the difficult thing that people don't get is those first few miles that we're trying to walk the right walk, you know? And everybody says, well, you know, in, especially in the community program, if you belong, say you're in, you know, whatever, a 12 step or whatever you do, right? And everybody says, you know, just do this and just do that and just do this and just do that. And they're like, yeah, right. And then I did that. Now what do I do for the rest of the 23 hours and 48 minutes of the day? Right. And this is what is the hardest part, I think for people that don't experience this part of our world is that we do feel better when we're in a group of people that are like us. We mm -hmm. do. And then we get in our cars and we go home to our rooms and we're sitting there and we're like looking around. You know what I mean? And it's like, well, now what the f am I supposed to do? Right. And, you know, you can only read so many books. You can only get online so much. You can only talk to so many people. You can connect with your trail guide. You can do all this stuff. But at some point you got to just make your way through the day. And that's, the miracle, right? Making your way yeah. through the day. But we talked about relapse and I said, I think I was, I was off we were, before we started. I said, you know, and I get you because I was the rodeo clown of relapse. <laughs> I was that, that rodeo clown where everybody goes, dude, no, 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 don't, don't go out there with those bulls. Don't do it. Oh, what happened? You know, so talk a little bit about about what those first few miles are like for you. What, what, what are the things that you do? Well, you know, because we're we're hoping that people listen to this, and we're hoping that people are share. We share our sharing helps other people, right? So, I would say that this time where I fell backwards a little bit was a little over a year ago. My grandmother passed away, we, and her and my papa they raised me. So losing my grandma was like losing my mother. It like rocked my world. So. I kind of use that as an excuse to relapse. Like, oh, I can drink now because I'm so sad about losing my grandma. So it was like everything I do, I like to justify what I'm doing. I went through most of last year drinking, using drugs, abusing ephedrine, abusing energy drinks. And 
like you said, it all comes down to yourself. Like I have trouble sitting with myself alone. Like now I'm in treatment and it's like I'm surrounded by all these other addicts and alcoholics and these people running group who are also in recovery. And it's like, I feel great. I feel awesome. And then I come home and it's like you said, like, what am I going to do with the rest of my day? Like I have to sit with myself. I have to look in the mirror. And a lot of my addiction and my eating disorder history, it all comes down to self-worth for me. I feel like what happened to me as a child and what happened to me in my marriage and what happened to me as a teenager, it's like those things stripped away my self-worth and I forgot who I was and I felt like I was nothing. So that is something that I'm working on currently. I'm trying to build my self-worth and be okay with who I am and kind of accept what happened to me not by condoning what happened to me, but by accepting it so I can let it go and move on. Um, Because what I'm carrying is so heavy and it's like, that weighs you down. Is that, you know, you hear early in the program, you talk about you know, resentments and how resentments are like rust, right? They just keep corroding you and keep corroding you. And, you know, in, in a lot of ways, I, number one, I can so relate to everything you're saying here. And I just want to thank you again for having the courage to come here and tell me and tell other people what you're experiencing. Because, man, you know what I mean? Right now, you're getting like the great big star, you know what I mean? And you should be giving yourself the big star for having the courage to talk about this because if we don't talk about it, those resentments stay inside, right? And they keep rusting, they keep rusting, they keep rusting. And I had one buddy one time, it's like you put something really rotten in a refrigerator full of good food, right? And you think it's going to be cool, it's going to be cool. And then you open up the fridge and realize it's not cool. It's not cool. You didn't get out that one thing. You didn't get those things out of that fridge that you knew you needed to get out of there and it's spoiling the rest of it. So, you know, let's talk a little bit about getting that stuff out of there. For me, you know what I mean? It was going back to really facing a lot of the stuff that happened when I was a kid and really seeing it for what it was. And then for those people that were still alive, right? You know, finding a way to either forgive them right? Which was like, what do you mean? I don't I want to slap their face. I'm not going to forgive you, right? Or confront them and just say, you know, this happened and this did and this, you know, and really when we're talking about this, we don't want to talk to somebody like me that's got no letters after their name, who's just been through the recovery windmill, right? You want to talk to people that have professional help and talking about it really makes the huge difference. Really being able to come up front and say, this happened to me. And by doing that, we own it a little bit, don't we? We don't hide it anymore. We don't hide it. And we're not, we're taking those first few steps to get rid of that shame where we say, nobody can ever know this. No one can ever hear this story. No one can ever, 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 blah, 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 right? But when we release it, when we speak it, we release it, we face it, we turn and face that aggressor in our minds or in our hearts from reality. We've, we look at them different. It's like they become smaller, right? Yeah. So, and that's really kind of what we're doing here together by talking with each other about both of our common histories. And also what you're doing is you're bringing it up to the front, man, and going this, you know, this stuff happened. You know what I mean? And now that I've taken it out and I'm looking at it, I go, okay, now guess what? You don't own me. 
You know what I mean? This is not who I am. What I was, what happened to me is not who I am. It's not who I am. But the hard part is, is, you know, these are all great words, but you know, being able to do it. Another friend of mine told me it's kind of like doing push-ups, right? Like nobody wants to do push-ups. Nobody can do 50 push-ups if you haven't done them. But you know what you can do? You can do one, right? So when we talk about it, we're doing that first push-up, you know? Sure. And even though I'm like, this sounds like really, really brilliant stuff I'm saying to you right now, I still freaking do push-ups. You know, you, you came to grips with the fact that you came to what I call the please help me moment, right? The three most powerful words in any recovering person's life are simply, please help me, right? You get to there. And so you did that and you've gone back into treatment and you're going to, you know, you're going to partial hospital or whatever. We really didn't talk about what it was specifically. It doesn't really matter, but you're going in, you're getting in, you're going in and getting that treatment. You know what I'm saying? Which is good, right? So now, now, you know, you're making your way back. Can you see, can you give yourself this much? Can you say, I'm better than I was? when I started this program, I'm better now because I did this, right? And that's, that's it. it. The analogy of the pushups is right. So now you can do 10, right? Maybe you can do 20, right? But you couldn't do any before, right? So you got that, you got that on you. You know what I mean? And today, and, and people tell me, you know, Mark, how come you guys all say that 24 hours a day thing? You know, my kids, it's one of my kids, especially I won't name his name because I don't want to bring him out. He says, Dad, I'm, I'm tired of that recovery thing you talk about 25 hours a day and I'm like well you know what it's how we get through it you know and sometimes 24 hour a day is 24 nanoseconds right next right I'm gonna do this now but you know you're doing that man you're doing that so one of the things I also like to talk about is the tribe that we formed together right you know obviously we came together because one of your tribe members suggested you should talk to this person because they yeah. they felt that you were so badass that you would have to say that we're so cool. And they're right, by the way, they're right. You are so badass. So, I mean, tell me a little bit about what you feel is important. If you were talking to someone that wanted to come in that was still out there, right? What would you talk to them about, about the tribe and how important the tribe is to forming and finding your own tribe? How important is that? What would you say? I think that surrounding yourself with people who have your health and your best interests in mind is like the most important thing in your recovery, in my opinion. I try to go through life remembering the people who have fixed my heart when it's broken or who lift me up when I feel like I can't stand on my own. I have some close friends to me that I've had for 15 years and some people that I work with at Glen Bay that I've been friends with for five years now. And those are the people that remind you who you are in times of sorrow. I can't tell the people in my tribe enough how much they mean to me. I am the one that does the work when it comes to recovering and getting myself to treatment and stuff, but I truly believe that I would not have been able to do it without their hand to hold along the way. I'm not as good as I should be about reaching out. You know what I mean? You know, like, you know, know, big shot, Mr. Fancy Pants podcast boy, right? And still I'm sitting (laughs) sometimes in my poopy diaper going, (laughs) you know, that's me, man, right? I do know that there are people that when it's, when I'm in my head, I'm dead, right? I'm when I'm in my head, I'm dead. When I'm in that swirly place where I'm like, 
when I'm doing that stuff, I'm dead, right? But I do know that there are people that I can pick up the phone and go, man, I need two minutes. You need to talk to me and just tell me that I'm not crazy and tell me that this and this and this. And a lot of the times, especially one or two of the people go, dude, you, uh, by the way, you are such an alcoholic. I'm like, that's the problem. I remember now. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you know, I'm a, I'm a messed up alcoholic. You know, my brain is a pickle. It's not a cucumber <laughs> ever again, ever again. Okay. So I feel so much better. Thank you. Goodbye. You know what I mean? And then so, yes. uh, but I mean, I guess, you know, as we finish up here, I, you know, I like to ask this question. What would you, what would the sober person who's been down this trail for as long as you've been down this trail, what would you tell the person that was starting on the trail? What would this Stephanie tell that Stephanie about what your life is looking like now? You know, what hope would you give her? The first thing I would tell that Stephanie is that everything that's happened to her is not her fault. Um, even though she blames herself for anything wrong that's happened. Um, I would tell her to reach out to her friends more, stop isolating, focus on yourself instead of other people. Recovery feels good. It doesn't feel good every day, but it does feel good a lot of the time. It feels better than using and drinking. Well, I just want to tell all our listeners, thanks again for hanging with us for this edition of Recovery Talks, the podcast. Stay tuned to Rock and Recovery for more episodes with more guests as they share their journey from the darkness to the light. And until then, everybody, please stay standing, stay sober, and stay off.